Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, if you're listening today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And my prayer is that the message you are about to hear will help you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 29. Genesis chapter 29, we're going to spend our time together uh, this morning looking at this fascinating story in the life of Jacob as we continue our journey uh, through the book of Genesis. If you're new to Northwood, what we like to do is we like to take books of the Bible like Genesis and just walk through them and see what God has to say to us from his word because we believe that his word is powerful and has the ability to transform our lives as we put ourselves in submission uh, to his word. And so we've been in Genesis now for some time and we're looking at the life of Jacob and these are just amazing stories of how God was at work in the life of a very hard-headed man. Right, And so we're in Genesis 29 this morning. In just a moment, I'm going to read to you the first 12 verses of Genesis 29. So go ahead and find Genesis 29, verses 1 through 12. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay, because in the seat before you, down the book rack of the seat, you should find a copy of the Bible. Pick that Bible up. Find Genesis 29 with us, very first book in the Bible. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. Read it. Learn about the God who loves you and desires a relationship with you. Genesis 29, verses 1 through 12. So, so I've been in Charleston now for, um, um, you know, December will be five years, so almost five years I've been here now. Some of you have been here a lot longer. Some of you were born and raised in this area. Uh, some of you, like me, you moved here later on. Some of you have been here 10, 20, 30 years. I know all across this room, uh, we, we've been here different amounts of time in this area, right? Some of you, I mean, during the pandemic, you moved here. You, you're, you're, you're brand new to the area, and, and hopefully, like me, you, you've learned to love the area, and you, you love the history, and the beauty, and the beach, and all those kinds of things. It's a, it's a great place to live. But if you, I mean, just I hate to tell you this, but it's just reality. Uh, if, you, if you moved here in the last year after the pandemic, uh, you paid a lot of money for your house, Right? I mean, real estate prices have just, just kind of skyrocketed around here over the last year or so. And so I'm sorry. I hate it for you, but you did. You paid a lot of money. And so Stacy and I, we, I told you this, we moved from one neighborhood in the area uh, to another neighborhood in the area right before the pandemic really took hold. So we've been in our house for a year and a half now, and we bought our house right before, thankfully, all the prices started to shoot up really high. And so one of the things I like to do Maybe you do this too. If you just recently moved here, you ain't doing this. But I like to do this because we bought right before the housing market went up. I like to go on Zillow. Do you like to do that? And just every month see how much my house is appreciated. That's, that's kind of a fun thing to do. If, if it keeps going on, someday we'll be very rich, and I'm very excited about that. But probably 2008 is going to happen all over again, and my house will be worth nothing. And you know how the process works. But right now it's a lot of fun. So, so, so um, just imagine for a moment that you're, you're moving to a new area and you've got a, a budget that you're trying to stay within. You're wanting to buy a house. And like me, you know that buying a house, it, it is like the most major purchase you'll make over the course of your life. And so you're, you're scouting out the area trying to find the perfect house for you and your family. And, and let's just say uh, the budget for your house is, is $400,000. 
For some of us, we could do maybe a little more. For some of us, we'd have to do a lot less, just somewhere in between, whatever the case may be. But let's just, for the sake of this story, let's pretend like your budget for your house is $400,000. So, so in the Charleston area, I mean, you could still buy a pretty decent house for $400,000, right? I mean, you could buy a nice house for $400,000 in the Charleston area. But you know, like I do, uh, that, that while the housing market here has been pretty crazy over the last year, in other parts of the country, it's been even crazier, right? And so, so for example, in Boston, in Boston, we know someone who lives in Boston, Trey's son, Pastor Trey, his son Ivy, has planted a church in Boston. We send teams to Boston. Cost of living there is a little bit more, hard to believe, but it's a little bit more than Charleston. So let's just pretend like you had a $400,000 budget in Boston to buy a house. Well, lucky for you, lucky for you, just this past week or so, a house has gone on the market, and it's exactly $400,000. And let's just say you pull up Zillow, you, you've got the address, you want to see what it looks like, you want to see the outside of the house, you want to see the interior of the house, and so I give you the address, and you're excited because it's in your budget, and you can't wait to see the picture that pops up, and this is what you get for $400,000 in Boston. Yeah, I kid you not. So this past week, this house went on the market. It's burned. It had a house fire, but yet it is going to sell for $400,000. In fact, if you were to go read the listing on the house, it says things like this. You're buying the house as is, right? But only you're buying the house as is. It also says in the listing, if, if you buy this house, there's probably a good possibility you're going to have to tear the thing down and start all over again. I remember when Stacy and I bought our first house. Years ago, back in North Augusta, we, we built a home and all those kind of things, signed our names on the dotted line. Can you imagine sitting in a, a, a real estate broker's office and, and signing your name on the dotted line, knowing that what you were buying was a burnt down house? And just think about it, $400,000. That's a lot of money. Buying a house, that that is the the most significant purchase you'll make. You'll work a lot of years to pay for that house. I'll tell you that story to tell you this. Here we are in Genesis chapter 29, and Jacob is about to work a lot of years to get something. And he doesn't get what he expected. And you know what happens. If you were to spend $400,000 on a burnt-down house, you'd probably be disappointed. If you were to spend your time working for something and you did not get it, you'd probably be disappointed. If life doesn't work out the way you think it should work out, you get disappointed. And if you think about Jacob's life, let's just be honest, it's been kind of a disappointing life. It hasn't gone the way that he thought it would go. And maybe if you think about your life, Maybe if you think about the last year, year and a half, and if you were to summarize your life in one word, you might say, my life has been disappointing. Let's be honest. We've all been there. We've all been through seasons of disappointment. Life can be rather disappointing, especially when we don't get out of life what we think we should get out of life. But I just want to remind you this morning that that while we all will go through seasons of disappointment, it doesn't change your fact that in, or it doesn't change for a moment the fact that in those seasons of disappointment, God is 
at work. And in, in one of the most disappointing seasons of Jacob's life, God is at work. And so what I want to show you, and I think this is going to help you, I think this is going to bless you this morning, what I want to show you from this fascinating story we're looking at this morning, I want to show you two ways that God is at work sometimes in your seasons of disappointment. Now, there's lots of ways, we have 5, 10, 15, 130, I mean, thousands of ways probably, that God is at work in seasons of disappointment. But in this text, I want to focus in specifically on two ways that God often works in your seasons of disappointment. So if you're disappointed this morning, this is going to be helpful for you, okay? Take your Bibles, look at Genesis chapter 29, verses 1 through 12. When you find that passage, go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the ring of God's word together. Genesis 29, beginning in verse 1, this is what the Bible says. Jacob resumed his journey and went to the eastern country. He looked and saw a well in a field. Three flocks of sheep were lying there beside it because the sheep were watered from this well. But a large stone covered the opening of the well. The shepherds would roll the stone from the opening of the well and water the sheep uh, when all the flocks were gathered there. Then they would return the stone to its place over the well's opening. Jacob asked the men at the well, My brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they answered. Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Jacob asked them. They answered, We know him. Is he well? Jacob asked. Yes, they said. And here is his daughter Rachel coming with his sheep. Then Jacob said, Look, It is still broad daylight. It's not time for animals to be gathered. Water the flock, then go out and let them graze. But they replied, we can't until all the flocks have been gathered and the stone is rolled from the well's opening. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. As soon as Jacob saw his uncle Laban's daughter Rachel with his sheep, he went up and rolled the stone from the opening and watered his uncle Laban's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept loudly. He told Rachel that he was her father's relative, Rebecca's son. She ran and told her father. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for time together in your word. Now, Father, I pray that as we study your word together, uh, that, that we would hear your truth and we would respond to your truth this morning in faith and obedience. Father, I know that in this room there are those of us who are going through seasons of disappointment. Even now, life is not working out the way that we thought it should or thought it would. And so we ask in these moments that we would that you would help us to see how you are at work even in times of disappointment. So, Father, thank you now that you're speaking to us. Help us to listen with hearts that are ready to receive your word, that are ready to obey your word. We love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Now, remember where we are in, in Jacob's story. He's been a man on the run because after he stole the blessing from Esau, after he deceived his father into giving him the blessing, Esau said, I'm going to kill you. You're going to be dead. And so Jacob is forced to leave home. He's forced to leave his mama that he loves, and he's on his way to Uncle Laban's house to find a wife. It's been an incredible journey. He's hundreds of miles away from home. And you remember last week, we looked at Genesis chapter 28 and that, that familiar story of Jacob's ladder where Jacob had, had literally hit rock bottom. He laid his head down on a stone pillow, and God appeared to him in a dream, a ladder. And angels ascending and descending the ladder. And and God made a promise to Jacob, uh, just like he had made a promise to Isaac, and just like he had made a promise to Abraham before him. He said to Jacob, you are going to have this land, and you're going to have a family, descendants, and, and, and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to protect you. 
don't worry about Esau. I know he's hot on your tail, but, but don't worry. I'm going to be with you. Now, if you had had that experience like Jacob did, uh, that would probably change your perspective of life a little bit. You'd probably have a little more confidence in the way that you live when God shows up, and he shows up in a very powerful and, and a very majestic kind of way. And so now Jacob, he's on his way, and he comes to a well. Now, apparently, in those days, a well was a great place to meet a woman because this has happened already, right? You remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Trey, he walked you through Genesis chapter 24. And and I'm assuming that Jacob was probably familiar with the way that Isaac, his father, had met his mama, Rebekah. Remember the story where Abraham sent his servant Eliezer to a well? And at that well, what did Eliezer do? He prayed, God, show me. And when God brought Rebekah to that well and Eliezer knew that this was the woman that God was going to give to his his master Isaac, he gave thanks to God. Similar story here, well, kind of similar in Genesis 29. There's a well and Jacob's going to meet a woman. But did you notice? Thus far in Jacob's life, we have not seen him pray a whole lot. He doesn't approach this well like Eliezer did back in Genesis chapter 24. He doesn't approach this well praying. He doesn't approach this well asking for God to reveal to him what his plan is or anything like that. He just comes to this well. But God, in spite of Jacob's lack of prayer, lack of seeking him, God is going to provide. God is going to be faithful. It's a fascinating story. He gets to this well and he sees a group of shepherds. And Moses gives us some details about what they did every day. They would gather at this well, and there was this large stone that covered the well. And you can understand why. I mean, you're in these ancient times. You've got this big well. You don't want to be walking along and fall into it. And so they would cover the wells with these big stones. And you also don't want stuff to get in the well. So this, this stones, it served as a way of protecting the water down in the well. And, and so these shepherds, they would come, and they would wait because it was a large stone. And You know, you don't have to move it more than you have to. And so they would wait for all the shepherds in the area to come to this well. And once all the shepherds were there, they would roll the stone away and then they would water their sheep and they would go graze. So Jacob comes and and it's the wrong time of day to be watering sheep. They should be out grazing. It's the perfect time of day for grazing. And so, so Jacob comes, hey guys, what are you doing? Do you, do you know Laban? Yes, we know Laban. Uh, why are you here? Why aren't you watering your sheep? Well, all the shepherds haven't gathered yet. We don't want to move this stone too much. And so they're standing there. And then all of a sudden they say, but, but look, 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 here she comes. You ask about Laban, here comes his daughter, Rachel. And, and if this was Disney-fied, right, if you're watching this on Disney+, Plus, the music will begin playing in the background, you know, the, the, the little bluebirds will be flying around her head, all those kinds of things, because, because in, in Jacob's eyes, she is absolutely gorgeous. And in that moment, in that moment, he knows this is the one, this is the woman that I want to spend my life with. And so this, this woman Rachel comes with her daddy's sheep to water at the well. These, these men, they're, they're lazy. They're not moving the stone. But Jacob, this mama's boy, he turns out to have some strength. He pushes the stone away to, to water uh, Rachel's sheep. And then he kisses her. It's an interesting first meeting. And then he cries. Now, I know there are some young men in this room that are single. And, and let me just give you some advice. 
this usually doesn't work out well for you, right? I mean, you meet a young lady and the first thing you do is cry. That, that, that's not, I, just don't try that, okay? But, but in this story, it actually works. Jacob, he, he is just awestrucken by this, by this beautiful woman. And, 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 and he explains to her, this is who I am. I'm, 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 I'm Laban's nephew. And, and so they run and find Laban. And, and Jacob, he is head over heels in love. He wants to marry Rachel. And so, so Jacob, he tells Laban exactly who he is. And this is real interesting. Come down, let me show you something. You get to, uh, to verse 13. When Laban heard the news about his sister's son, Jacob, he ran to meet him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then he took him to his house, and Jacob told him, listen to this, all that had happened. It's an interesting phrase. All that had happened. Now, obviously, Jacob probably told Laban about the chance encounter that he had with Rachel at the well. Chance in Jacob's mind, but we know it's ordained by God. But, but that phrase, all that happened. I wonder if Jacob told Laban that he had been on the run, that Esau was after him trying to kill him. I wonder if he told uh, Laban about how he had deceived his father, how he deceived Esau, all that had happened. I wonder if he told him the whole story. So anyway, Jacob stays with Laban for about a month or so. And, and after a month, Laban comes back and says, man, you've been with me for a, a month and you've, you've worked beside me. It's been good. What, what do you want? How, how can I repay you? Jacob knows exactly how Laban can repay him. He wants the hand of Laban's daughter, Rachel, in marriage. It's exactly what he wants. And so then, then this is what Jacob does. He says, I'll tell you what, I, I want to marry Rachel. I, I, I'll work for you for seven years. L listen to what the Bible says. You come down and it says in verse 16, this is just an aside that, that Moses is telling us before we get further into the story. Now Laban had two daughters. The older was named Leah and the younger was named Rachel. Leah had tender eyes, but Rachel was shapely and beautiful. Jacob loved Rachel, so he answered Laban, I'll work for you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. There's two daughters. Leah has tender eyes. Now that's Moses' way of saying that she just wasn't as attractive to Jacob as Rachel was. We don't have any pictures, don't know exactly what they looked like, but Jacob preferred one over the other, right? And so, so Jacob says to Laban, I want Rachel, the younger daughter. And I'll work seven years, seven, seven years for her. Now, in those days, you might know this, maybe you don't. In those days, there was what was called a, a bride prize. That if you were courting uh, someone's daughter for marriage, you would actually pay a bride prize. I mean, I know that's kind of weird and odd, but, but uh, that's what you did. You paid a bride prize. But, but Jacob, he doesn't have any money. He's on the run. And so he, he makes Laban an offer he can't refuse. He doesn't say I'm going to work one year or two years or three years. He says, you'll get seven years, seven years of hard labor out of me for your daughter, Rachel. It's a pretty good deal. And so look at what Laban says, verse 19. Laban replied, now listen to what he says carefully. Better that I give her to you than to some other man stay with me. I guess that's a compliment, right? But he says, better I give her to you than some other man. Notice what Laban does not explicitly say. He doesn't explicitly say, deal, I'll give you Rachel in exchange for seven years of work. What he does say is, better I give her to you than some other man. And so it happens. Jacob stays 
and he works. But listen, I love this line. And it, it, it sounds like it came right out of a Disney musical, right? Listen to what it says, verse 20. So Jacob worked seven years for Rachel and they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Isn't that special? So, so he works for seven years and then, then, then it happens. Now this next verse is, is, is even more special. Look at verse 21. After seven years, Jacob said to Laban, since my time is complete, give me my wife so I can sleep with her. So again, if you're single, let me give you some advice. If you ever sit down with your future father-in-law and make that statement, just know you'll probably be shot on the spot. Don't do that. But, Again, it works for Jacob, so he thinks. (laughs) And so after seven years of work, Laban throws a feast. It's time to celebrate a wedding. And just imagine what it must have been like. You know, you have all the family comes, all the friends come. It's it's gonna be a a good time, a celebration. And and they celebrate all day long. And as the custom was in that day, the bride comes out and she is completely veiled. You can't see her face. The day goes on and and, and probably vows are exchanged and all those things you would expect at a wedding. And and it gets later at night. and, And as it gets later at night, they've had a full day of celebrating. And you can imagine what goes on with the celebration and those days they bring in the wine and, and everybody's drinking just a little bit too much and, and, and there's no electricity, it's dark and it's time. It's time for Jacob to take his bride, Rachel, into his room and consummate the marriage. For seven years, for seven years, Jacob's told us he's been waiting for this. And I imagine that in the darkness of night, when there was no electricity, where he can't see her face, he says, Rachel. And Leah answers back, here I am. And that night, the marriage is consummated. And then the sun comes up, and it ain't good. Look at what it says. You see what the text says. You come down to, to, to verse 23 or 22. So Laban invited all the men of the palace and, and sponsored a feast that evening. Laban took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob and, and he slept with her. And Laban gave his slave Zilpha to his daughter Leah as her slave. When morning came, there was Leah. A little bit of a shock, don't you think? to wake up the next morning after a day of celebrating, exchanging vows, and and the woman next to you is not the woman you expected to see. That's not a good day after the wedding, you understand? And so so there Jacob is, and imagine his shock, his frustration, and at night, in the night, he had said her name, Rachel, and, and Leah has said, I'm Rachel, here I am. And if you think about it, and in the night, Jacob was blinded by the darkness. But it hadn't been so long ago that his daddy was blinded too. And his daddy had called out and said what? Esau. And Jacob said, I'm Esau. It seems like Jacob's getting a little bit of a taste of his own medicine. And so you come down and look what it says. Uh, Jacob, obviously upset, he goes to his, his father-in-law now and he says to Laban, what have you done to me? Wasn't it for Rachel that I worked for you? Listen to what he says. Why have you deceived me? Come on, Jacob. 
You've done the same thing. In fact, look at what Laban says. Laban answered, again, remember, back in verse 13, Jacob told him all that had happened. Maybe Jacob had told Maybe Jacob had told Laban how he had mistreated his older brother. Maybe Jacob had told Laban how he had stolen the birthright of the firstborn away from Esau. Now listen to what Laban says. It is not the custom in our country to give the younger daughter in marriage before the firstborn. I can essentially think of Laban and saying it like this. I know what you did. You took from the firstborn Esau what belonged to him. That ain't happening in my house. You ain't taken from Leah, the firstborn, what belongs to her. The way we do it around here, we do it the right way. Leah's the firstborn. She gets married first. And there you have it. In that moment, Jacob had met his match. This man, Jacob, who was a deceiver, who did everything he could possibly do to get what he wanted, he met someone who had done to him the same thing that he did to his father and to his brother Esau. And so Laban says, I'll give you another week. Celebrate, celebrate with Leah for a week. And after that, I'll give you Rachel, the woman that you want. But you're gonna have to work another seven years. And so Jacob ends up working 14 years in Laban's house for the woman that he wanted. Verse 28, Jacob did just that. And you come down to verse 30. Jacob slept with Rachel also, and indeed, he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Talk about a fascinating story. And, 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 I, and I bet you, when you heard this story as a you know, eight-year-old in Sunday school, it didn't make as much sense as it's making to you right now. This is not a good story. It's a story of deception. A story where, where a man ends up sleeping with a woman that he doesn't want to sleep with. This ain't a good story. And so the question is, here's the question that you and I need to answer. Why in the world is this in the Bible? I mean, can you imagine? You're one of those ancient Hebrews. You're wandering around the wilderness and, and Moses, he's, he's composing this book and he's, he's telling you the story of how you began. This is the story of your beginning as the nation of Israel. This is wild. Why? Why this story? Why does it happen this way? Why does Jacob get deceived by Laban? Why? You think about it. Think about what God is doing in Jacob's life. Because here's the reality, and you know this, and I know you know this, but you need to hear it, and I need to hear it over and over again. You can't outrun your sin. Did you hear me, church? It's going to always catch up with you. You think you can, but I'm just telling you, when you continue to live a life of sin against God, rebellion, deception, disobedience, ultimately it will catch up with you. And it's caught up with Jacob. And I think, I think that, that God is using this moment in Jacob's life where he is deceived by Laban to, to bring Jacob face to face with his own deceiving ways. This event in Jacob's life is, is kind of like a mirror where God is using this to help Jacob see something about himself. It's disappointing. I mean, come on, let's be honest. Jacob wakes up the morning after the wedding to a woman he doesn't want to be married to. That's disappointing, to say the least. But God, 
God is using the disappointment in Jacob's life to do what? And I know know this. Now, now we don't want to talk about this because we don't like to talk about these kinds of things, but we need to. God is using the season of disappointment in Jacob's life to what? To remind Jacob of his own sinfulness. Now, let me show you. This is the first way that God sometimes chooses to use disappointment. Sometimes God uses disappointment in your life to remind you of your own sinfulness. You don't think about that, do you? Because when, when you're in those seasons of disappointment, all you're thinking about is how disappointing it is. Man, this stinks. This isn't what I thought would happen. This isn't what I bargained for. This isn't what I expected. And maybe, just maybe, sometimes in those seasons when life is disappointing, God is doing an inward work in your life, reminding you of who you are, of your need to come clean before him about the sins that you've committed. I I know we don't want to talk about that. Nobody likes to talk about sin. But it's destructive. It's harming your relationship with others. It's causing distance in your relationship with God. And maybe right now, in that season of disappointment you're in, maybe what God is doing, he's using that season to say, it's time. It's time for you to come clean with me. It's time for you to get on your face before me and confess. It's time for you to make it right. And so listen, here's what I want you to do. If you are in a season of disappointment, or if, you're, if you've ever been in a season, you're gonna go through one, but whenever you're in a season of disappointment, I want you to ask yourself four questions. You ready? One, are you disappointed because you didn't get what you think you deserve? That's obviously Jacob's case. He worked hard for Rachel, seven years. He deserved her as his wife. And, and sometimes you have that same attitude. I deserve better. I don't deserve to be disappointed. And what that does, you know what that reveals? Anytime you say, I deserve, I think I deserve, I I deserve better, what that reveals is a heart of what? Pride. And for some of us, there's some pride within us that we keep refusing to deal with. Or think about this. Are you disappointed because you have been mistreated? And let's just be honest, in this room, all of us, at some point or another, we've been mistreated. And some of us, I get it, we've been mistreated badly. But sometimes God uses your seasons of disappointment and even the mistreatment that you experience at the hands of others to remind you that you've mistreated some people too. You see what I'm saying? We don't want to be mistreated. None of us do. But you've been a part of it. You've gossiped about somebody. you've, You've put people down even to their face. You've done your share of mistreatment. And so maybe sometimes God uses that season of disappointment to remind you of the hurt that you're causing in the lives of others. Or think about this. Are you disappointed because you expect better from God? Come on, God. We had this this moment and you showed me a ladder. Man, it's supposed to be better than this, right? And maybe you have that same kind of mindset. Come on, God. I'm your child. I mean, you saved me. I I prayed and, you know, I I experienced it. can't you do better than this? I mean, can't you do better in my marriage? I mean, it's falling apart. Can't you do better in my children? Can't you do better for me on my, can't you do better for me, God? And maybe what that's revealing in you, right, is this heart where you really don't understand how God works at all. And, and maybe what God is revealing in you in those moments where you're saying, God, can't you do better than this? Maybe God is reminding you that you're not living your best for him. You see what I'm saying? Or think about this. Are you disappointed because your agenda has been disrupted? Time after time after time in Jacob's story, isn't this what's happening? Jacob's agenda disrupted. He and his mama, they got a plan. 
but they don't ever consult God's plan. And so, so you get that way too. Life happens, you get disappointed, and the reason why you're disappointed because life isn't going your way. But you never stop to ask God what his way is, and what you end up showing in those seasons of disappointment is how faithless you are. Now, I just want you to come in close, and I want you to understand this. I'm not trying to be be harsh with us this morning, but I do want us to understand the reality is sometimes in those seasons of disappointment, the problem isn't somebody else. It's not out there. The problem isn't God. The problem's you. It's me that we're disappointed because there's sin in our own lives that we're not willing to confess before the Lord. I told you that um, months ago, back in March or whenever it was, we went to New Orleans. Um, we bought a car because we had this van for years and just had to get rid of the van. Days of minivan, got to get it gone. So we bought this car and, and I told you uh, a month or so ago that after we bought it, about a month or two after having it, the radio went out. And so I took it down to the dealership and, and got it fixed and brought it back. And um, about a month and a half later, the radio went out again. Now, now, both times they kept it like three or four days to try to fix this radio that's gone out. And the second time I said, I don't care how long you keep it. I don't want it back until it works the right way. So they got it back to me and, and here we are again a month and a half later. And for the third time now, the third time, the radio has gone out in my vehicle. Now, you, you know this, right? Because most of you have a car. Um, you can't drive without a radio. Like, what are you gonna do? I mean, you know, I mean, uh, you gotta listen to something, podcast, uh, you know, talk radio, music, whatever. And you know how it all works now is that, that if you're gonna talk on the phone while you're in the car, it's gotta go through that radio system. I mean, nobody holds the phone up their face anymore, right? And so, so, so I, I've been driving around now for about a week without the radio working. And so I, I went back to the dealership for the third time. And I said, listen, it's gotta be different. Because, because when I told my wife, I said, okay, they're going to take my car, they're going to keep it. We can't have no car. I mean, the last couple of times I went, I had, you know, people on my staff were taking me around and chauffeuring me. I, I borrowed Trey's car for a few days. I mean, just, I can't keep doing that. Like, I, I need to have something to drive. And so I told my wife, I'm going there and I'm not leaving until they give me a car to drive while my car is being fixed. So there. And so, 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 so I drive up into the parking lot and I see it, right? I see it on the lot, that brand new $80,000 vehicle. That's going to be the one. That's the loaner. And so I, I get up to the counter and I saw the guy I had worked with several times, but he was busy. So there was this other guy at the counter and he asked, you know, what he could do for me. And I, and I began to tell him and just as nice as I could. And like, it's the third time I've been in here. The radio doesn't work. I, I cannot leave my car here without another vehicle. You need to give me a loaner. I'm not leaving until you give me a loaner. And he told me we can't do that because apparently there's this car shortage because COVID makes cars go away. I have no idea. But there's this car shortage. We don't have a loaner. I'm like, well, that's not going to work. I said, I've got to have a vehicle. I cannot, you got to help me figure this out because I cannot leave here without a vehicle drive. Then he said this to me. He said, there's a car rental place right across the street. I said, what you mean there's a car rental place? He said, you can go rent a car. I'm like, no. That's not how it works, right? Like, you can rent me a car. He's like, well, I can't do that until I talk to my manager. I'm like, well, let's get the manager out of here, right? But all that to say, the other guy stepped in because he saw that, that you know, we, we were having this conversation. And, and, and so anyway, I tell you this, that the, on that day, I was disappointed. Why was I disappointed? Because I wasn't getting what I wanted. I wanted to drive that $80,000 car off the lot. You see what I'm saying? But I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if this happened. We finally got figured out. I still have my broken car. They still have their loaner. That's another story. So, but, but, 
But I wonder when I left that place, if those two guys looked at each other and said, man, I know he was disappointed, but he sure handled that with a lot of grace and kindness. He was awesome. I doubt that was said. But, 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 but listen to me, but listen to me, but listen to me. Here's reality. Here's reality though. But as I left and I began to think about that, that's what I want to be said. That there are gonna be moments in my life where I am disappointed. Life's not going to work out and something's gonna come out of me. It might be that sin that's within me. It might begin to manifest itself in those seasons of disappointment, but that's not what I want to come out of me. When, when I'm in those seasons, when life doesn't work out the way I think it should work out, what I want to come out of me is the character of Christ, grace and kindness. That's what I want to exude. But you know what? I don't do that very well. And I bet you I'm just taking a guess here. You probably don't either, but it should be different. If we have been transformed by the Spirit of God, when we go through those seasons of disappointment, what should come out of us, right, is the character of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit. Those things should always come out of us, even in seasons of disappointment. And so maybe right now in your season of disappointment, God is using this season to what? To show you, you got some work to do. You've got some sin to confess. You've got something to deal with because what's coming out of you doesn't reflect the Christ who is within you. You see? And so sometimes God uses seasons of disappointment to remind you of your own sinfulness. But let me show you something else and we're done. Did you know this? Jacob's not the only one disappointed in the story. Hello, Leah? Right? Look at what the text says. Verse 30, Jacob slept with Rachel also, and indeed he loved Rachel more than Leah. Verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was neglected. Can you imagine? She's married to a man that doesn't want to be married to her. That's disappointing. God sees her disappointment. Look what it says. He opened her womb, verse 31, but Rachel was unable to conceive. Look, verse 32, Leah conceived, gave birth to a son and named him Reuben. For she said, the Lord has seen my affliction. Surely my husband will love me now. I've got a baby. He's got to love me. But he doesn't. Keep reading. She conceived again, gave birth to a son and said, the Lord heard that I am neglected and has given me this son also. So she named him Simeon. She conceived again, gave birth to a son, a third son and said, at last, at last, my husband will become attached to me because I have borne three sons for him. Therefore, he was named Levi. Every time she had a baby, this time it's going to be different. Every time she had a baby, Jacob's going to finally love me. If you think about it, what Leah was doing, now watch this carefully, what Leah was doing was making Jacob her savior. I just wanted to love me. If he'll just love me, life will be okay. If he'll just love me, life will be satisfying. And I bet you, if you're honest with yourself and if you're honest with me and honest before God, there's some saviors you have in your life that aren't Jesus. If I can just get my wife to show me the attention that I want, life will be good. If I can just get my husband to love me like I want to be loved, life will be good. 
If I can just get my employers at work to see my potential, then life will be good. If I can just get, if I can just, if I can just, then life will be good. And what you've done is you've made a lot of things in your life your savior. If this works out, if this works out, if this person treats me, if this person does this to me, then I will be. And so what you have, and maybe you don't recognize this or not, but you have a lot of functional saviors in your life, right? But God is at work, not only in Jacob's life, He's in work at Leah's life. He wants her to know that Jacob is not where satisfaction's at. It's him. Look at what it says. Three children. Verse 35. And she conceived again, gave birth to a son. Listen, it's different this time. And said, this time I will praise the Lord. Isn't that good? She finally gets it. I mean, for all these years, she's been hoping that, that Jacob would love her, that, that Jacob would finally find satisfaction in her, and he never does. And then finally she gets it. Now, I'm not going to long for Jacob. I'm going to praise the Lord because look at what God is doing in my life. He is my Savior. He's the one in whom my soul satis- finds satisfaction. And look what it says. Therefore, she named him Judah. Then Leah stopped having children. Judah. Now, Judah was an interesting character, and we're going to get to his story in the weeks ahead. He kind of has a secondary story in the book of Genesis. But what we know about Judah, he wasn't the son that every mama wants, much like Jacob. Remember? He was the one who said to his brothers, let's sell Joseph into slavery. Not a good idea to sell your brother into slavery. And then you have Genesis chapter 38, one of the most horrific stories in the Bible, where, where, where Judah has this scandalous relationship with his daughter-in-law. I mean, this is a disgusting story. But Judah's going to have kids, and their kids are going to have kids, and their kids are going to have kids. And one day, a child who is going to be born, who is called the Lion of Judah, it's wild. Jesus Christ comes from the lineage of Judah. Our Savior comes from this broken, messed up man's lineage, you see? But, but think about it as well. Judah's mama was Leah. And so therefore, right, right, connect the dots, Jesus is born in the lineage of Leah. This woman who was neglected by her husband, this woman who, who, who was so tender on the eyes that her daddy had to trick someone to marry her. Man, she is loved by God. So much so that he opens up her womb and from her lineage would come a Messiah. One who would come to this earth and live a life that we could not live, sinless in every way. And then one who would go to a cross and die in our place. Because let's be honest, in this room, we are a room full of Jacobs and Judas. We're a room full of deceivers. We're a room full of people who, who sin in our disappointment. We're a room full of people who've done life our way instead of God's way. And because of that, what all of us deserve for living life our way instead of God's way, what we all deserve is punishment, eternal punishment. But on the cross, the Lion of Judah, Jesus Christ, took the punishment that we deserve and died the death that we were due. And then three days later, rose from the dead victoriously, giving us through faith in Him as we turn from our sins and 
and turn to him, giving us the gift of life, abundant and eternal. My friend, don't miss this. Sometimes God will use your seasons of disappointment to remind you of your own sinfulness, but also sometimes God will use your, going to the next slide, God will use your seasons of disappointment to teach us to worship him alone. You see, your disappointment is often a reminder that you have your eyes on the wrong Savior. You see? But, when your eyes are on the right Savior, Jesus, you will see every disappointing season as an opportunity to lift your heart to the one who never disappoints. Can I tell you something before we close our time together? I know you're going through some seasons of disappointment. And maybe God is strategically using that sinful or that disappointing season to help you see some sin that you need to confess before him even this morning. But can I tell you something else? Here's why you should worship this one who gave his life for you and rose again. Your seasons of disappointment, you know what they are? Seasons. Do you hear me? You know what a season does? It goes away. And here's what's gonna happen. There's gonna come a day, and I pray soon. There's gonna come a day when the sky opens up and the trumpet sounds And this one who died in your place and rose again three days later and then ascended to the Father in Acts chapter 1, there's going to come a day that this Son of Man, the Son of God, that he returns to this earth and that he's going to raise the dead in Christ. And for those of us who are left on this earth, he's going to call us up with him. And he's going to take us out of this broken, sinful world. And he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And you know what? You will never be again disappointed. That's the hope that you have. That's the hope that I have as a follower of Jesus. The hope that we have is that all of these seasons of disappointment, they're going away. They will be no more. And because we know they will be no more, when we go through our seasons of disappointment now, We keep our eyes on Jesus, knowing that it's not going to last and knowing that even in the season, God is using it to teach us something about himself and to teach us something about ourselves. And so we walk through it with faith, with our eyes on him, because we know where the victory really does lie. It's not going to last. And so here we are. And maybe this morning as we end our time together, you're in this place. And the answer for your disappointment is Jesus Christ. And for some of us, for the very first time, we need to make a decision to follow Jesus, to turn from living our way, to turn from our rebellion, and to place our faith in the one who lived and died and rose again for us. In the corners of this room, there are our crosses. And after I pray, there'll be someone at that cross who would love to talk to you. And if today is the day that you want to make a decision to give your life to Jesus for the very first time, to be born again, to be saved, go to one of those crosses. Someone will be there and we'll talk with you and pray with you and help you begin a relationship with Jesus. You can come down front, talk to me. I'd love to help you. If you're watching online, you're gonna see a number come on your screen. You can text name Jesus to that number and then very soon, someone will reach out to you and pray with you and help you begin a relationship with Jesus. But today, let today be your day of salvation if you've never given your life to him. For those of us who have given our life to Jesus, maybe, maybe this morning, God is revealing in you some sinful attitudes, some sinful behaviors that he wants you to deal with. And maybe he's bringing you through a season of disappointment to make you look inward, 
to cause you to look in your heart and to see, Lord, is there anything in me that I need to bring before you and confess to make right with you, to make right with others? I know we don't talk near enough about confession and repentance, but it's so critical in the life of the believer because there's power in confession. There's power in repentance. There's power in daily experiencing that restoration with God. Maybe this morning you just want to come. Confessing that sin before the Lord that you know is hindering your walk with Him, that you know is hurting some of your relationships. And maybe this morning you want to make it right. You come. You seek Him this morning. Run to His grace. Father, thank You for this morning. Thank You for time to be together, to study Your Word. Thank You for Your goodness and grace and mercy towards us. Thank You that You're at work even in disappointing seasons. So Father, now as we end our time together. We're trusting that your spirit is at work in these moments. And for that man, that woman, that teenager, that child that might be in this place, that has never placed his faith or her faith in you, may that person come trusting you as the Lord. And Father, for those of us who are your followers, I believe that right now you're doing a a, a work of revelation within us. You're revealing to, to us sins that we need to confess heart attitudes that, that need to be brought before you, that need to be changed. Father, you're, you're right now bringing things to the surface as an act of your grace and mercy toward us. We can deal with these things and so we can continue to walk by faith. So Father, help us respond to your voice now in this moment and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You rise to your feet. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you.